Hello, left fielders. At LFI, you know our focus is on networking and education. Mark your calendars because we're going to have a full day of it dedicated to you, our limited partners at the best ever conference on April 9th in Salt Lake City. LFI is opening the BEC with Passive Investing with Left Field Investors, an event focused on passive investors. This will be where insightful content meets passionate limited partners. If you enjoyed BEC last year and the meetup in Left Field this year, then imagine them both back-to-back. The Best Ever Conference isn't just any event. It's the premier conference for commercial real estate investors and operators. Your ticket to passive investing with left field investors includes admission to the entire Best Ever Conference from April 9th through the 12th. Join us April 9th where we will have a packed agenda with sessions focused on how to be a successful limited partner led by experienced LPs, top operators, and partners. Then, immerse yourself in the full Best Ever Conference where you will be surrounded by like-minded investors, operators, and industry experts for unparalleled opportunities for learning and networking. The best part, and there are so many, but the best part, you won't find a bigger discount on the regular ticket price than the one you get for being an infielder. That's more content for an exclusive lower price. Register for the event today at leftfieldinvestors.com slash BEC, and we will see you at Passive Investing with Left Field Investors at the BEC. Have a deal in mind and a group of investors ready to go? Use TribeVest to pool your capital together through a multi-member LLC. TribeVest has streamlined the group investment process, making it easy, quick, and safe to do business with others. Start a tribe and invite your partners to join. Then you can use the platform to collaborate with your partners, pool capital, and manage your joint investments. I'm in 12 tribes myself. It is a great way to learn from others, spread risk, and get into deals at lower minimums. Go to TribeVest.com to get started today. Any major city is going to have laundromats that are going to thrive. I mean, it's just, you go Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville, Chattanooga, you name it, across the Carolinas. I mean, any, anywhere in the country. I mean, again, you know, the laundry, laundromat industry is not short on cities that it'll do really well in. Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. This is Dan Hanford from PassiveInvesting.com, and you're listening to Passive Investing from Left Field Podcast. I'm really excited today to have Sam Wilson with us. He's the founder of Brick and Investment Group. He's been an active investor for more than a decade in self-storage, parking, multifamily apartments, single-family homes, RV resorts, and now laundry facilities. Uh, he's also the host of How to Scale Commercial Real Estate, a, a podcast. And he was a two-time, um, this is the second time on the show, I should, should say. He was a guest on episode 58 in April of 2022. So we're excited to have Sam back. Sam, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate you having me back on the show today. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, first, I, you know, we've done this before, but I still would like to get new listeners to hear a little bit about your journey. So if you could tell us, how did you get into real estate? How did you get into all these different asset classes and then land in laundromats? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, how did I get into real estate? I always say it was the good Lord having mercy on an idiot. <laughs> I sold a business that I owned in Indianapolis, Indiana. I was 30 years old. I had no college education. Um, I'd only work for myself. And so I was categorically unemployable by anyone else. I just had no other relevant industry experience outside of what I had done. 
And so I didn't know what to do next. Uh, had, had money and time on my hands, which I'd like to get back to that point in my life again, because that was a nice confluence of events that are hard to, uh, those two are hard to line up. I'll tell you that. I didn't know it at the time. But regardless, I ended up buying a foreclosure at a foreclosure auction kind of randomly one day. I uh, just kind of stumbled into a foreclosure and bought it, and I made a pile of money on it. And I said, my gosh, I, I can do it once. Why don't we just keep doing that? And so it's been every iteration of real estate since then. I can, it's kind of wild to look back now. Yeah, it's been a decade, more than a decade since we bought that house. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been a wild ride. So I don't hope, hope, hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. And so talk a little bit about the journey from, you know, you started with a, a single-family home, I assume, and, and it was probably yeah. a flip. And I know you flipped yep. um, a number of, of single-family homes. And then, you know, I mentioned a bunch of different asset classes. So some of it you've been passive, I think, maybe as an LP, and some you've been a GP. So can you just kind of talk about, because it's always interesting to me, I started in single-family homes too, and my progression went single, multi, and then I found passive, and I'm like, that's where I want to be. So kind of just talk about the evolution. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I did 60-plus single-family homes from 2013 to 2018. We were buying almost exclusively on the courthouse steps. I thought in 2018 that the single-family housing market was getting overheated. Margins were getting compressed. Competition was getting tighter. Money was harder to come by. And I just said, man, there's got to be something else out there. Started looking at commercial real estate, and that's when we got into parking, which was great all the way until the pandemic happened, which we got out of that by the hair of our chinny-chin-chin. Made a pile of money on it, which is a great time to break out of parking because you know there's a whole year there when parking really just was dead, quite honestly. So really couldn't, there was no viable business option there. And then, uh, and also through that 2018 until even today, I'm an, I'm an LP and deals across the country. So that is, that is fun for me on that front, of course, to be investing in a lot of different asset classes where I'm not directly responsible, but that also, you know, ties into some of the other asset classes we've gotten into from uh, multifamily, which I'm a, I'm a general partner in multifamily, but again, you know, primarily just bringing capital to those deals. So it's a great way on the GP side to get involved, to understand it, to be involved in company calls and things like that, but not necessarily directly responsible for the day to day. So everything from storage to multifamily, um, land is my own, own thing. I've got some private land holdings on that front, but I don't bring investors in on anything relating to that. So that's just kind of a, a hobby investment, uh, for me. And then, Actually, I started investing in laundromats personally in 2018. So I've owned laundry for the last five years, and we'll get into that kind of story. And that's also something I've not brought to our investor base until 2023. RV resorts, last year we partnered and did two RV resorts, again, on the GP side with some other partners, because a great chance for me to get in and kind of see the front row or get a front row seat to how RV resorts are owned and operated and also be on the general partnership side and then also bought a, uh, a third RV resort last year that we own and operate ourselves. So yeah, a little bit all over the place, but uh, I would say direct day-to-day -day responsibility. There's only one asset that we own right now outside of laundry that is something where it's, hey, I've, I've got to be involved in the day-to-day -day on it. So that's kind of a good way for us to scale without feeling completely schizophrenic. Yeah, that, that's a lot of stuff. So I want to I want to jump back into the parking. You said yeah. you, you, know, you, you made a bunch of money because you got out before the pandemic. So Looking at, you had this portfolio, I assume, of, of parking lots, however that works. What was the thing that said, hey, this is the time to get out? Because you did the same thing with flipping, right? You recognized that things were getting competitive, 
and you exited flipping at presumably a pretty good time. So are you yep. just a genius timer of the market or, or what happened there? <laughs> just luck, man. Just luck. <laughs> I'll say that. We sold in January of 2020 and then also passed on a huge portfolio that had come our way. And I, I don't know, again, if it was the good Lord having mercy on an idiot or what. Maybe that's my secret sauce. Uh, there's, there, there, there's the good Lord upstairs and he's like, man, this, this guy needs a little extra help. He's uh, he's not too bright, so so we'll we'll give we'll give him a little help here. But in January 2020, we just got a, an incredible offer on what we own, and we just said, "Yes, we'll take it." We had a 10 year plan, and we'd only owned a lot of it for like four to six months. I think we doubled or tripled our investors' money, and it was like, uh, "Okay, well, yeah, we'll take that exit." Uh, and then there was another giant portfolio that had come our way, and I just was I didn't feel good about it. I didn't know why didn't feel good about it. So I can't say there was any, there was no empirical evidence that I was using to say, Hey, this is a good time to buy a good time to sell. I didn't know the pandemic was coming or anything like that, but we passed on that portfolio and then the pandemic happened. So we had no parking assets that we owned, which I think parking is great. I mean, now's a great time to get back into parking. I mean, there's, there's incredible opportunity on that front. I'm not going back down that rabbit trail because I've been there and done that. But it, um, that said, we didn't know anything. The pandemic happened and we were like, well, we've made our money and then we can break clean. So that's exactly what we did. And and you've talked a little bit about um kind of the 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 change or or how you operate, right? You're you're an LP on some of these asset classes. You're a GP yep. on some of the asset classes, which is um to mean that you you're raising capital for others, but you're helping on the deal in in different places. And then with laundromats, you are the the main operator and yep. GP, correct? So, yep. You know, in our experience together, you've been you know, I didn't know you in the parking world, but last time we had a conversation, you were doing RV parks and you were kind of the GP operator, capital raiser, kind of, it seemed like you had multiple roles there and that was the new yep. exciting asset class. And now you're on to laundromats. And I don't mean this in a negative way, but you know, for an, for an LP, we like some kind of consistency and the appearance is you're chasing a shiny object, which one's next. So can you just talk a little bit about that and, and how do you approach LPs and say, Hey, I'm the laundromat guy. I know a couple of years ago I was I was the RV park guy. Just can you talk about that just to kind of understand how LPs should react to this? Oh, absolutely. And and they should have that kind of visceral sense, that, you know, in their gut check like you just did and go, "My gosh, this guy's all over the place." I mean, that 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 it would be my initial response to that if I were an LP looking at me. And and I I always say that, you know, one of the things and this is I'm I'm happy to share any any secrets I can for people out there that are scaling their portfolios. Like I got a front row seat to my own failures and I'm going to tell you for better or for worse, you know, I've got all these different assets that we are involved in and it's probably not, I don't think it's been any detriment to our LPs, but certainly for me on a growth trajectory, not been the most advantageous way to go about it. You know, picking one thing and sticking with it until you've worn it out is really the best way. Uh, I think to scale your portfolio, both from an LP and a GP perspective, no doubt. Uh, but I will say also that I've had my hands in the laundry business and also in the RV resorts at the same time. At the end of 2022, so we did three deals last year in the RV resort space, totaling, oh, probably 14 or $15 million in assets that we acquired. And at the end of the year, I looked around and I said, okay, you know, I know laundry. I've been in laundry for the last five years, both just personal, or just, just in my own personal holdings. And I said, the, resort, the RV resorts and the laundry, they're very similar in the way they operate, the fragmented industry, the opportunity that's there. 
but I see more promise, honestly, in the laundry business from a downside protection standpoint. So at the end of 2022, I said, okay, from a downside protection standpoint, and also just from an overall cash flow and return on time perspective, laundry is killing it five to one. So now I got a front row seat to both how RV resorts own and operate and how our laundry business that I know very well owns and operates. And I go, well, gosh, there's just unlimited opportunity in the laundry side of things. I'm doing RV resorts. They're going fine. I'm enjoying it. But why not just take what I already know and know very well that I see has unlimited runway and just scale with that? So yeah, I'm not buying any more RV resorts. And again, I don't think it's any loss to me or to my investors because you know we're doing great in the assets that we own. I'm just not adding anything more to that fire unnecessarily. So that's uh, that's kind of the way I look at what it, what it is that I have uh, have done, and all we're doing is laundry. I mean, at this point, yeah, we own the RV resorts, but you know, laundry is all we're doing. It's all we've done all year long. It's all I intend on doing for the foreseeable future because it's it, we just it's just doing really well. So that's that's where we are. Yeah, and I think that that gives some some color to the switch, right? Because you have been doing laundry for a while, and you you just wait out which is the better option. So that makes complete sense to me. Back to the RV park. So now that you're you're kind of going all in on laundry. What is, how, where does that leave the investments you did last year in the RV parks? Are you still involved? Are you still going to make sure that oh, those, yeah. I mean, you got to shepherd those to the, to the uh, close, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I only have, I only have day-to-day exposure on one of those and it requires maybe two hours a week of my time at most. So it's not one of our operating or one of our partners is, is, is the boots on the ground day-to-day operator there that, that actually is on site. So I'm not there on site. I don't have to be there on site. We have our weekly calls. We make sure we get the things done that we need to do. And then, of course, the deals where we're, we're more just on the uh, capital side as a general partner, you know, again, my day-to-day exposure there is almost non-existent. So, you know, other than reporting, making sure investments and distributions and all those things are handled, yes, we'll shepherd those to the end. But it's, uh, it's not a massive cognitive bandwidth uh, suck for me. The laundromats. Let's just jump into laundromats because that's why I had John here. I heard John on another podcast. I was intrigued. I mean, we've we've known each other for a while, and this is a super interesting asset class. I am guilty of chasing shiny objects, which is okay. I'm an LP. I'm supposed to, even though I got to reel myself back in. So talk to me. You you mentioned downside protection. You mentioned that the laundromats are killing it. And I just love the business model you talked about. So just get, give us the um give us the overview. Why laundromats? Why now? Right. So it's a, we'll just start maybe at the top and see if I can logically work our way through this. One is that it is a fragmented industry. It's a lot like the RV resort space in that it's mostly mom and pop owned. It is missing a lot of technological upgrades. You know, when you, everybody knows the term coin laundry. I mean, I have a question for you, Jim, why are we still putting quarters in laundry equipment? I mean, some of our machines cost $11 and 50 cents to start. That's 46 quarters to start a machine. That's the bulk of the laundry industry. You know, they're going to be or the laundry industry owners. They're going to be in their 70s. They're going to own some really old stores. They are not up to date. The equipment's broken. I mean, you go in any, not any, but I would say 80% of the laundromats that exist today, uh, half the equipment's not going to work. The lights are hanging down from the ceiling. The place is gross. You feel like you're going to catch a disease or get stabbed. It's like, oh my gosh, this place is awful. Like it just needs a, com- and we're seeing professional ownership groups come into the space, which is fun. We obviously want to be one of those and are one of those ownership groups coming into the space that's really turning around the reputation that laundromats have. That said, they're also cash cows, which is one of the reasons that 
people still take coins because they don't report their income. They don't track all the, and that's another reason why it's still mom and pop owned is because you got all these owners out here that take all that money and stuff it in their sock drawer and they don't report it. Okay. Well, that means that that industry can't then grow and thrive because then they're not taking digital payments. They're not taking Apple pay. They're not taking credit card payments. And the people that use laundromats, believe it or not, still want to use all of those payment features. So you go into our stores now and it's like you come in, you still, you can still bring cash, but you put cash into a loyalty card system. Well, now you got a loyalty card that you swipe at all the machines throughout the store. You can use Apple pay. You can start the machines with your phone. You can do, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that we do inside of these stores that improve the customer experience, obviously rebranding, bringing in brand new equipment, bringing in, you know, completely remodeling the gut in these stores. That customer basis that, that needs those assets is just unbelievable. And in fact, the worse the economy gets, the better our stores do. So talking about a recession resistant, inflation resistant asset class, it's like, well, man, we're there. We've got a, we've got a base of customers that's only growing the worse the economy gets. It's got incredible margins and it's inflation resistant. We can reprice our stores every day like a gas station if we wanted to, you know, right from my phone. So it's like, okay, we've got a, a unique little business here that uh, just does really well. Yeah. So I guess it, it's growing. And, and obviously when you find all these mom and pops, there's, there's so many, um, you know, ways that you can grow the business and improve things. But, you know, a lot of, and maybe this has changed because multifamily is struggling a little bit or is poised to struggle. But part of it, when I look at laundromats, I'm thinking almost every multifamily investment I'm in, they're talking about, hey, we're putting in washer dryers, right? In, in the units. So, Every time they, they redo a multifamily property, which I would guess is where most of your clients live, they're, they're taking people away from you. So maybe you can talk about that. Am I, am I wrong about that? Maybe. I mean, yes, I hear you in the sense that there might be a washer and dryer in multifamily units. Laundromats thrive in areas where laundromats are needed. So you're thinking... Class C-ish areas and or bordering Class C areas. I'm going to use Memphis as an example. Yes, there's multifamily, but in the Class C areas, I mean, there's still just a ton of single-family rentals, which is one of the things that we use is like how many single-family rentals are within a one- to three-mile radius. And we use that as one of our key demographic indicators of, okay, is this a good store or not a good store? Um, so that said, yes, maybe you got some multifamily operators that are putting in washers and dryers, but in the areas, these kind of legacy areas where people are renting single family homes, the, the customer base, there's just incredible. So that said, I don't, that doesn't really strike me as a, you know, class B maybe, I mean, but again, class B to class A apartment complexes aren't probably coming to our laundromats anyway. Aspen funds has been a consistent supporter of left field investors. You may have seen Bob Frazier on an LFI webinar or at our October meetup in the left field speaking on investable megatrends for the next decade. Whether you're an accredited investor interested in mortgage note funds with a 10-year track record or other macro-driven alternative investments such as industrial, oil and gas, multifamily or retail, the Aspen Funds team is keeping track of the economic trends and co-invests on every deal right alongside you. Meanwhile, you get to do what you love and make every moment count. Download their free economic report today at aspenfunds.us slash LFI. Hi, this is Zach Hapenstall, CEO and co-founder of Rise 48 Equity. At Rise 48, we've successfully purchased 38 different properties worth over $1.5 billion worth of real estate and gone full cycle and sold 11 different properties 
drastically exceeding projections for our investors. If you're looking to invest with an experienced sponsor in either the Phoenix, Arizona, or Dallas, Texas markets, then we're the group for you. To learn more about investing with us, visit our website at rise48equity.com and set up a call with me. Thank you. Talk about the, the markets then, because I know, you know, I, I used to own some single family properties in, in Memphis, so I'm vaguely familiar with that market. And if I remember it correctly, every time you move, you got to bring your appliances with you, right? They, they, don't, right. they don't give you a refrigerator or, or anything like that. So maybe that is unique to Memphis because I think in most single family rentals, you might already have a washer dryer in it. So is, is this a Memphis thing, the laundromats, or is it able to be expanded beyond that? Or am I just being oh, too no. narrow focused? No, it's all over. I mean, it's all over. I've got people across the Southeast, friends in the laundry industry, and it's, it's, it is, I mean, any major city is going to have laundromats that are going to thrive. I mean, it's just, you go Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville, Chattanooga, you name it, across the Carolinas. I mean, any, anywhere in the country. I mean, again, you know, the laundry, laundromat industry is not... Um, not not short on cities that it'll do really well in. And that, I think to your point, I, I guess I've owned a lot of single family rentals over the years, and I don't think we put appliances in any of those, Memphis or otherwise. Maybe maybe it is that way in other cities, but um, yeah, I've just not not experienced that. So okay. I don't know but, if that, that gives any color to it or not. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's certainly a growing market, it seems. And and, and I think the, the, the key probably is you take these mom and pops who are ready to sell and they're, they, they've already made their money off and it's cash flowing for them. And then, you know, you, you go in there and, and upgrade everything and make it nice. Now, this is, is this similar to car washes in that it's an operating business and a real estate play together? That's a great question. And, and, I'll, and I'll give some color maybe back to what you're coming about. You know, they've made their money on it. Yes, they've made their money on it and they're tired and it is an operating business. And that's probably one of the reasons that you get these legacy owners that are, that are tired. I mean, one of the recent stores we bought, this guy was, he was 74 and he's staring down the barrel of putting in a half a million dollars in new equipment, gutting his store, starting over from scratch base. Cause he goes, what am I going to be 85 or 90 when I get all this paid off? He goes, I'm tired, man. I've done this for a long time. I want out. Um, so that said, you know, and also their revenues have just, as those stores get older and as their equipment stops working and breaking down more often, their revenues do decline. I mean, we took the the first store we bought, we it was doing four four thousand dollars a month in gross revenue. Four thousand dollars a month. That store does over forty thousand dollars a month in gross revenue now, with almost no no money spent on ad spend, just bringing a brand new product to market. And when you build it, it's kind of crazy. They do come and we keep seeing this happen over and over and over. It's like you bring you bring a brand new store, with brand new equipment and brand new payment systems and staff it and offer wash, dry and fold and offer delivery and the revenues kind of take care of themselves. So that said, is it a real estate play or is it a business play? It is very much a business play. There is real estate involved, no doubt. Uh, but we will also take stores on leases. So that answers your question, I think, right there, is that, yes, it's it's an 80% business, 20% real estate play. And just especially if you're buying standalone stores, which we own, you know, standalone stores, the real estate plus the business. But without the business, the real estate's kind of worthless because it's an independent standalone laundromat. And like, what else is it going to be besides a laundromat? So that does that answer your question? Yeah. And how does um, depreciation work on a laundromat? Because I know on the uh, car, I keep comparing it to car washes, but yeah, you know, car washes have really excellent depreciation because th- some of the business gets rolled into that. So is that the same with um, laundry mats? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, and it's, and again, we'll do cost seg studies, especially if we have the real estate and the business as well, but even all of our major equipment, we can either choose a section 179 that I think it's up to like what 1.2 million, I think a year. And again, I'm not a tax accountant, so don't take this as tax or you don't take this as tax advice. Cause I'll probably get something wrong somewhere, which is why we pay them the money to take care of it at the end of the year. But you know, you can section 179 up to a certain amount of money. And if you go over that, then we can do bonus depreciation. So I think this year we've got what 80% I think left. So if we spend, let's say on a single store, a half a million bucks, we can write off 400,000 of that in the first year if we're doing it via bonus depreciation. And what, what's section 179? That, yeah, you're now, now, now we're getting outside of my just knowledge base entirely. Generally. Just gener- generally, it's like where you can say, okay, we own a business and we can expense in that first year up to like one, I think it's 1.2 or $1.1 million in whatever that is, new equipment, and just write it all off in year one as a direct expense. Now, how does that affect whether or not you capitalize that equipment? How does it affect the balance sheet? I don't know the answer to that question, but uh, I do know that is a an option outside of maybe claiming it under bonus depreciation and or cost seg studies. So an LP will get some kind of paper loss in oh, year yeah. one? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. That's, that's, that, is, that is one of the things that, that uh, we strive for. And, and I heard you mention on another podcast, and you briefly mentioned it here, um, delivery, wash and fold. Um, I think you even mentioned something about um, DoorDash or something being part yeah. of this. Can, can you talk about all of that? Like, Because it's not just people going in, washing their clothes, drying them, right. and leaving, right? You have other, right. other verticals. Yeah, absolutely. And we I, the way I like to put that is that we get to serve kind of every – uh, every income tier in their own u- unique way. So you have your self-serve customer, which accounts for about 60% of our revenue across the board. I mean, maybe it varies a little bit, but on average, 60% of our revenue comes from that self-serve customer that comes in, washes their clothes in our machines, drives them in our machines and takes them and goes home. So that's one. Number two is about another 30% of that, uh, of our revenue accounts for drop-off orders. Believe it or not, there's, I mean, everybody from the mechanic down the street that doesn't want to do his laundry on the weekend to, you know, giant families that are, you know, they got five to seven kids and like, man, I just can't keep up with the laundry. They'll bring in 55 gallon bags at a time of trash, trash, trash bags full of clothes for our staff then to take and wash, dry, fold, and they'll pick it up the next day all nicely, you know, bagged up and ready for them to take home and just put away in their drawers. So we do a ton of that drop-off business. And then the third thing we do, and it's, and it's a growing segment, but we integrate with DoorDash, with Uber, with on-demand delivery services, and also we have in-house drivers where you can order it right, you know, right from our website. Go on the website, type in elliesLaundry.com, and you can order laundry, and we'll come pick it up at your door that morning and then take it back to our store. Our staff wash, dry, and fold it, and then you'll get it delivered back the, uh, the next day, again, right there on your doorstep. So you get to kind of serve each unique kind of income earner in their own unique way. And those are going to do different at different cycles or in different economic cycles, but that's um, some different ways that we're able to do the laundry business that are kind of some bolt-on services that, again, going back to the mom and pop owner that's taking quarters in their machines, they just don't have the the capacity to uh, to really add those services to what they do. And and I heard you mention also short, short-term rentals because, you know, I know a couple of short-term rentals that have um, two laundry rooms in the actual house. And because when, when they do a turn, they have to wash everything so fast that they need two washers and two dryers. So you're working with uh, short-term rental companies as well. Yes. Good. Yeah. I'm, you, you did do your homework, Jim, and I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, absolutely. You get these large management companies 
And, you know, if it's, if it's a scaled management company and they've got 50 or 75 short-term rentals, what they're going to do is standardize what they, what they put on all the bed sheets are going to be the same. All their pillows are going to be the same. All every, everything's going to be the same. So we operate, we operate right within them and actually have dedicated, uh, you know, shelving space and racking space for these different companies because their, their, their cleaning crews will just come in, pull comforters, pull pillows, pull whatever it is. And they just drop off laundry and pick it up all week long and just use us to do their turns because they can't turn them fast enough. You know, again, you know, with the, with the challenges of, of turning a house, you know, say they pick it up at 10 a.m., they got to have it turned and ready to go by 4 p.m. Well, that could be a real challenge if uh, they don't have the right or the fast enough laundry equipment there in the actual facility. So they just utilize us as a third party to get all that done. And now I want to kind of pivot to how does an LP look at look at this? Like, what are the expected returns? And again, this is yeah. general, not of, you know, and I think this is, you're not investing in one deal. It's a, it's a fund. So can you talk about Correct. this deal structure and, and how LPs can, um, can invest in this? I will give you kind of some background as to why we set this up the way we did. There was a lot of thought that went into this, like, okay, do we do this in like, you know, three to five store segments? Do we, you know, how, how do we set this up? We came to the conclusion that it has to be in a fund. It has to be in a fund because one, if we're going to buy 10 or 20 stores in the Memphis area, we want all of those to be under one common ownership. They don't need to be competing with each other. You know, if you did five different syndications, then you have five different groups of people competing for the same amount of business, which doesn't make any sense. So it is a fund. It is, uh, we do have several stores already in that fund. What, the way to think about the laundry business is that it's not, it's not an appreciation play. Like this is a cash flow play. You're looking at a double digit return annually, cash on cash. Uh, and outside of that, that's really the way that we've kind of just structured it is, Hey, this is a, you know, we have an intended eight year hold. And again, I'm not going to get the specific numbers on it. You can download the PPM, all that stuff right off our website, sign up there and you can get all the information there. Uh, it is a 506C fund, but it, it, the cash flow is what we're looking for. And that's what you're going to get in the laundry business. Yeah. If we aggregate a portfolio of 25 or 50 stores and decide to sell those in eight years, what will that multiple be when we exit? We don't know. Why? Because it's really never been done. Nobody's ever institutionalized at scale the laundry business, which is one of the things we're looking at. It's like, okay, how do we how do we meaningfully grow this such that in eight years we have 25 or 50 stores to sell off all at once as a portfolio sale? But, you know, one of the challenges we ran into in underwriting is you go, all right, well, what's that look like if you sell 50 stores all at once? Well, we don't know. You don't know because it's never been done. It's not you can you can you can pull the data for multifamily or for uh, self storage or for any of those other asset classes and say this is what this looks like. So we said, you know what, let's be stupid conservative here. We know what we can get on a return profile basis because we have firsthand experience in it. So what we can project is cash flow for eight years and then exit and basically you know get your money back. So clipping a very healthy coupon is kind of the way I like to think about this business in kind of an investor's approach to it. It needs to be an investor that is income focused and not necessarily growth focused, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I guess the, um, the question there is, is in the, in the docs and stuff, again, we don't want to go through the whole PPM, but, um, sure. is there an upside for the LP? Meaning if you do sell and have a, have a big exit, cause you find a REIT who now wants to be a laundromat REIT cause you've invented a new thing. Um, right. does the LP share in those gains? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's and, and that's one of the things that uh yeah, go if you do, download the download all the documents and there's yes, there's I, I think we've set this up to where it's it's really 
uh, investor friendly. We're still talking about the LP. How does an LP, because there's two parts to, well, there's more than two parts, but two main parts maybe to an evaluation for an LP. One is the operator. So how yeah. do we evaluate a laundromat operator? Because I don't, I, is there only one? Maybe there's a few more, but you're the only one I know. Um, and, right. and especially you're, you're not new to the asset class, but you're new to syndicating it, right? And it's a unique and different asset class. So as an LP, I'm thinking, okay, first thing I want to do is evaluate you and, and you, yep. you as a laundromat operator. So what are some things that I should be looking for? What are some questions I should be asking you? Yeah, I guess what 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 is the what is the plan uh, as far as revitalizing these stores? Are you buying? Which is a you know we're are you buying new? Are you building? Are you building from the ground up? I guess that is built buying new. But are you building from the ground up? Are you remodeling existing stores? How are you acquiring those assets? What are you doing from a point of sale from a technological improvement side of things? Like what's that look like to bring the laundry business into twenty twenty three? Uh, what's it look like from a management perspective? I mean, cause this is a management heavy business. Like who are your team members? What's that? What are your, who are your boots on the ground? How are you handling point of sale systems? Are you guys offering ancillary revenue or ancillary, uh, services to you? And then how are you bringing those ancillary services in? Is it you guys marketing it? Are you partnering with third party vendors that are helping you do that? What do a lot of those things look like. So I guess it would probably be more on the operational side of things, like what that plan is and how you plan on executing that. Cause it is, uh, there's a lot of moving parts here and that's, those are probably the things I'd want to know more than anything. You know, if it's a, if it's a buy one store or two stores and let them run sort of thing there's just, I don't see legs growing underneath that. So those are probably a few of the things that would come to mind initially. Okay. And then the second part and, and part of that, it's kind of because it's in a fund and it's almost like the analysis of the deal is almost the same as the analysis of the sponsor or the vetting of the sponsor, right? So are there any metrics that we should be looking at? Like, you know, in multifamily might be economic vacancy or, you know, uh, the rent growth or the, you know, some of those other metrics that we look at. Um, do we have that for laundromats? Is there, is there, oh, some, yeah. or is it just like how many different revenue streams do you have? How many verticals or, or what's the analysis there? verticals and then the other thing you want to look at is just you know what are the demographic studies i mean we 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 spend a lot of time looking at demographic reports when evaluating an area and it may vary city to city like memphis memphis your your average household income might be slightly less than what you'd expect obviously in a laundromat a good laundromat in nashville you know nashville is much more affluent maybe than memphis is overall so you want to say okay or at least the household income it's got to be more in Nashville than it is in Memphis. So looking at those demographic reports, how we're interpreting them, those, that's a lot of what we spend time on is looking at those and just because there's areas that we'll pass on because they may they may make too much money within a certain striking distance of that store. And it may be like, and I've passed on stores from that very for that very reason. It's like, well, everybody's making $120,000 or more a year within one mile. This doesn't make any sense to have a store in this location. Um, so that's that's what we spend a lot of time looking at. And you mentioned um, competition. There's other people doing this. And other than the mom and pops that you're trying to target and buy, in your markets, what are the competitors? Not their names, but what are they doing? How much competition is there? When you find a property, are, is there usually another buyer or is it just you? Uh, there could be another buyer here in Memphis. I only know one other person that's actively buying stores. And, and I'm actually glad for it. Because again, we're taking an industry that, man, it's it's just rough. Like there's, 
one of our stores that we bought in January of this year, I honestly wouldn't wash my dog in the five closest stores to that store. I just wouldn't do it. It's like, I man, these, these things are disgusting. So it's really great to see other people come in the space. It's kind of like quality multifamily operators coming in. It kind of rising tide, you know, raises all ships sort of thing. So I'm glad to see some other more professional owners come in, making nice new stores. So yes, there is competition out there. Um, what we have found as a way to differentiate ourselves from our competition is one, we have staff stores. So a lot of times you'll go into a laundromat and there's nobody there, right? You just walk in, you're like, uh, okay, well, I got to find out what machine, I don't know what machine to put this stuff in. Which one does it fit in? Where do I buy soap again? So we put staff in our stores. So when you walk in, it's kind of the Chick-fil-A model where it's like, hi, welcome to Ellie's Laundry. Like, oh, okay. Well, I'm not used to being greeted when I walk in the door. Good to see you too. Um, you know, having a robust phone systems that roll over from store to store. So when you call, you don't get just stuck out in, you know, the nether sphere of trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, the third thing that we do is really that I think sets us apart more than anything is our community engagement. So we spend a lot of time. We have team members that help focus this in partnering with, um, there's some books to birth programs there. We put libraries in all of our stores. So when you walk in, like the bookshelves are all there's bookshelves throughout the stores. We put reading rooms or reading areas in for kids. We put kids' playroom, you know, in there. And then we partner with other organizations that will come in and do free laundry, you know, a couple times a month for seniors groups or for Medicare groups or for whatever it is. So be churches. There's other partner industries that will come in or other partners that will come in, host a free laundry night. So we'll split laundry with them. And so they get to come in and, you know, bless the community. And those nights, of course, pack the house out. It costs us nothing because we do it at cost with those groups. Um, and so we do some of those community engagement things. We partner with the schools and give vouchers to the um, school counselors. So if they have kids that come because truancy and kids that don't get their clothes cleaned is a big deal because what kid wants to come to school stinking. And so we'll partner with them and give them laundry cards where they can just hand those out to families in need and say, hey, you know what? Go to Ellie's Laundry and they'll wash your clothes. You, don't, you, you look like everybody else could just walk in there and swipe your card and you blend right in. Uh, so we do some of those things that really, and those are just a few of the things, you know, the, 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 the libraries, the kids areas, the free laundry events, the partnering with schools that really drive community engagement. And that's a big deal. So even though we have competition, like our, our best store, I mean, there's probably four laundromats within a mile, mile and a half. And we're, we're by far the busiest laundromat in the area. And we're the most expensive. That's the other thing too, is that I have no problem being a price leader in the business. It's like we bring a really great product to the market. They're super clean. You walk in, you get greeted. And so I keep our prices in line with the product that we're offering and people are willing to pay for it. So all of that said, you know, we kind of got a little secret sauce there in the way that we engage the community. And that so far has made all the difference. That's great. And I heard you mention it a couple times. So you did brand this. Are they all Ellie's Laundry? Is that the goal? Is Ellie's Laundry is the, is the brand name? That's it, man. Ellie's Laundry. Ellie'sLaundry.com. You got it, man. That's uh, that's that's the name of the uh, name of the brand. Awesome. And for for those of you uh, that aren't on YouTube that are listening, he just uh, showed showed me his hat. It's pretty pretty sweet hat with a website on it. So um, that, that's awesome. So Sam, the last question I always ask is, what is a great podcast that you listen to? You cannot say how to scale commercial real estate. That'll already be in the show notes. That's an awesome podcast. You got to pick something else other other than that. A great uh, Jim, I, I I told you, I think I said this in the onboarding questionnaire. I, I host my own podcast. And so it's really tough. Eight hundred and fifty some odd up. I get to have people like you on all the time. And so I get a front row seat to ask all the questions I want of some of the best guests in the country. 
And so it's really hard to get out after that and listen to other real estate podcasts. And I'm like, oh man, I've, I've already had all the best guys on the show. Uh, but that said, a great podcast that I listened to. Okay, here's a fun one. I haven't listened to it in a while, but I really enjoyed it. It was, I can't remember the name of it, but it was all about sounds, like 20,000 hertz or something like that. Have you heard of this one? I haven't. Yeah, so he goes through and he, he just, he, and, and I loved it when I listened to it, but it was all about sounds. And they interview like everybody from the voice of Siri to what different sounds. And, and it, it, uh, you wouldn't think that you could make a fascinating podcast, but if you're looking for something that's just kind of a brain break and you're like, yeah, oh, that's really, really interesting how they break down what sounds do. And then they did one on the, um, on the national alert, you know, the er, er, yeah. whatever it is, that sound and how that's a trademark sound. And you can get fined like thousands of dollars if you play that sound over the air. Um, so don't do that by the way, but that, that's a, that's a, that's a great, uh, a great podcast that I've listened to just for just listening pleasure going, man, that's, that's really, really interesting. And I learn something new every time. Awesome. That's great. You know, we don't, doesn't have to always be about real estate all the time. So I appreciate that recommendation. Uh, last question. If listeners want to get in touch with you, learn more about you, your company or Ellie's laundry, or if someone just needs to wash a couple of shirts, what's a great way to get in touch with you? Man, you can always check out our stores at ellieslaundry.com, but the best way to get a hold of me is Bricken Investment Group. That is the name of our company, brickeninvestmentgroup.com. That's B-R-I-C-K-E-N investmentgroup.com. Go there. You can learn all about the laundry fund, and there's uh, ample ways to also get in contact with me there directly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This was fascinating. Another new asset class, which I love learning about. So thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. It's great being on. As a busy physician, I know exactly what it's like to work long hours, make sacrifices, and put your patients first. I wanted to create more freedom for my family, but I didn't know where to turn. So in 2012, I discovered the power of multifamily real estate investments. This allowed me to create passive income and freedom and wealth for my family. In 2015, I co-founded multifamily syndication investment firm, Viking Capital. My name is Vikram Raya. I'm CEO and co-founder of Viking Capital. And we believe that multifamily investing presents a significant opportunity for investors to build sustainable wealth and achieve financial financial freedom through diversification. Learn more about all our current deal offerings at vikingmultifamily.com. Investing in syndications can be a daunting task. Wiring a large sum of your hard-earned money to someone you talk to on the phone for 30 minutes can certainly be scary. How can you be confident in what you're doing? Steve Sue, one of the founders of LFI, just published a book called Avoiding Rookie Errors as a Left Field Investor. 20 lessons learned from 14 years of investing in private syndications. This is by far the best book on syndication investing I have read. It's an easy to read book, chock full of great advice from Steve's experience as a passive investor. This is a must read, whether you are a first time passive investor or a veteran. Get the link to Avoiding Rookie Errors as a Left Field Investor on our website today at www.leftfieldinvestors.com. I always have a great time talking to Sam. One of the things he's, he's just authentic and, and transparent about, about what he's doing and, and where he's at. So I definitely appreciate that. You know, he was flipping houses. I forget how many he said he flipped, but a bunch. And he recognized it was getting more competitive. And, and he says it's just dumb luck um, that he got out in time, but he exited that. And he did the same thing with parking lots, right? He got out at a good time and he can call it dumb luck. Uh, but, you know, when you continue to do it, maybe it's a little bit something more than that. And and it's okay if luck is part of your success. That's just the way things are, right? You can have a little bit of luck. You need you need more than just luck, but um you can't just say, hey, this is luck when it when it's repeated. And again, the fact that, you know, I asked him, 
hey, what do you, you're changing asset classes all the time. And how are people going to evaluate that? He was totally, yeah, you know, that is something you should ask. That is something you should look at. He agreed that it looks like he might be all over the place. But when you dig into it, he's been in the laundromat business for five years, as he said. So it's not like he just switched from RV parks and parking lots to laundromats on a whim. He was doing both, and he found out which one was going to give the best return to him and to his investor community, and so he went all in in laundromats. So um, I presume next year at this time we'll interview him again, and and I think he'll still be in laundromats because he sees the potential there, and and that, that makes sense. And Part of it is, you know, he's buying all these from mom and pop that run down, dirty, gross. You know, I'm sure we've all been in a laundromat before. There aren't pla- they aren't places you want to hang out. But if you update them with all this new technology so I can just start the washing machine and pay for it from my phone, I mean, that's fantastic. And then you put a library in there and a play area for kids and you get community engagement. Now you're making this a comfortable, safe space that I can go do my laundry and read a book while my kid's playing next to me. And that just solves so many problems at once rather than dragging my kid to this dirty, dingy place where that nobody's at and you're, you're, you're nervous and, and you got to go to the bank or wherever you, I don't even know where you go to get quarters because you got to have 40 quarters to run the machine or whatever he said. So it's just the change that he is putting into these. It just makes it compelling and he can charge more because of it and multiple verticals, right? We always taught you want more than one cash flow stream. And that's whether you're a business or whether you're a person, right? And so he has the self-serve, he has the wash and fold, he has delivery, he has short-term rental people who come through. So there's all these different verticals and there's all these different ways that he can make money, which allows him to staff it because now he doesn't just have staff sitting there watching you do your laundry. They are there to help you, but they're also folding laundry and doing other stuff. So the business, the operations just sounds like it makes sense to me. You just have to recognize as a cash flow play, not appreciation. That doesn't make it bad, but you have to realize that we don't know what the exit is, right? It sounded like it's an eight-year fund, but you don't know what's on the other side. You don't know who he's going to be able to sell it to or how he's going to be able to sell it. But if you're making significant cash flow along the way, it doesn't matter as much. You don't need a two or three X because you've gotten your money along the way. And that also de-risks it. So super interesting uh, new asset class. I always like learning about that stuff. So super glad that Sam was was able to come on and, and talk laundromats with us. So that's all we got for this time. We'll catch you next time in the left field. Thanks for hanging out in the left field with us today. If you are interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestor.com and click the subscribe button to join our community. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe to the show on your podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you really enjoyed the show, a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts would be appreciated. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.